Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. You're listening to the Cricket Podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to the Cricket Podcast for our final Ashes 2023 episode. We're going to recap the series, we're going to talk about the great moments, we're going to talk about the bad moments, we're going to talk about our favourite players as we build a composite 11 and generally just have a lot of fun. I'm Jack Hope, I'm joined by Max Rowe Brown. How are you doing Max Rowe Brown? Hello, yeah I'm very good. Um, I've got my alcohol free beer because now all the excitement of the Ashes is over, I have to detox so I'll do that in every way I can. But and we have Daniel Norcross very well. in the top right for people watching on YouTube. Uh, how's your detox going? Uh, I haven't really started it to be honest with you. I went out for a late breakfast oh. at about 3.30, had a lamb kebab and, uh, and an Aperol spritz. So the thing about detoxing is at my age, you can't, you can't risk it. If you go too hard on the detox, it could kill you. So essentially, you've got to come down in very gradual increments. And last night, as you can imagine, was quite a heavy one because everybody who works in inverted commas in cricket is so incredibly pleased with themselves for having watched <laughs> 24 days of Ashes cricket. They, they seem to think that they've put in more hard work than the actual players. And so we then get around to go, didn't we do well? <laughs> Not really. <laughs> we went and watched a lot of cricket and talked a lot of nonsense. Um, and knowing that I was going to come on this programme with you, I thought, I'm not really out of the woods yet. And I still haven't finished my Zero Ducks podcast. I've, I retired from Zero Ducks given daily Ashes podcasts with one to go. At 10.21 last night, I made the decision in the uh, Garden of the Fenceman Arms at Oval that that was it. I was never going to play Ash's daily podcast again. Uh, I mean, I suppose I might be tempted out of retirement in two and a half years' time, like Moeen Ali was, but we will see. Yeah, that's a big question I'm, mark. I'm, yeah, lol. <laughs> I'm sort of quite, quite pleased with my decision, actually. I well, had I, a very I, enjoyable evening. Sounds very similar to how Stuart Broad made his decision to retire. I think just you know, yeah, yeah pretty, much. pretty much on a whim, on a whim, just like that. About two and a half. Bottles of well, let's get right into it then. Yeah. Um, Daniel, yesterday, Max and I and, and Ross, we went through the ashes and, and our uh, initial thoughts. 
straight after play. But we obviously haven't heard from you. What did you make of the 24 days of Ashes cricket that we saw? Uh, what were your highlights? What were your lowlights? Where did it turn? And um, how great a series was it? I mean, I've asked you eight questions there, basically just let you talk about what you want. Mm. Yeah, unspeakably dull, really, wasn't it? I mean, no one wants to see cricket like that. Uh, <laughs> with with one side just not playing the game at all, and uh, and the other side leaving the ball outside the off stump for hours on end. It was uh, <laughs> it was ridiculous, wasn't it? I mean, I don't know if it was the greatest series ever played, but it was possibly the most enjoyable series of back-to-back games narratively um it began with a ridiculous bang and lots of people very vexed at ben stokes declaring on the first day but it was entirely to be expected he set the tone of what to expect from england which was not sort of the unexpected if you know what i mean expect the unexpected because if you expect the unexpected then it becomes expected and then that defeats the entire object of everything and you end up in a horrible um constant arms race win. you do you do uh, but it so it started with that wonderful bang the first match ended in a disappointment for england and i think for the series because the assumption was always australia were absolutely shitloads better than england man for man so england were going to have to be at their peak to win a game of cricket and when they didn't win it and then when they absolutely played the most cluelessly stupid cricket for 45 minutes on the would it have been the third day or the second yeah, day? Yeah, two. This must be the second day at Lords. Was it when, when, when Nathan Lyon went off with his ankle? Yeah. Uh, and they just got into that fantastically brilliant position. And then three of my favourite cricketers managed to get themselves out four times. Actually, fact, because Root got out twice, playing the same shot, which was fairly um, impressive. Uh, there were a lot of people steaming up and down, getting very angry and saying, if you're trying to revive Test cricket, it's quite a good idea in England to win. Otherwise, no one's going to watch it anymore. And people got very pompous and thought they knew what basketball was. Uh, so that was quite a highlight, was, was seeing just how much it seemed to matter to people. From a personal point of view, the most nervous I got was Headingley, not because of a kind of nationalistic desire for England to win, but because the series was so obviously fantastic and we were on the front pages of the papers and we were getting better listing figures than ever before. And, you know, across all platforms, everybody was Sky and BBC and everybody piling in to watch it. And you thought, oh, my God, what if it's 3-0? How the fuck are we going to handle the next eight days before we go to Old Trafford? How pointless is that going to be? And then, you know, I just wanted them to get to Old Trafford because we're back-to-back games. Then you can at least extend the narrative for long enough. And then we all knew that football was going to take over, both women's football and speculation over who Doncaster are going to sign at left-back, because that's incredibly important. Um, but the rain utterly destroyed me, because I had, again, given up any hope, really, of there being a barnstorming decider at any point, until it became clear that England were thrashing Australia and couldn't possibly do anything other than win that game. So when the rain came... That, again, just ruined the opportunity for this great occasion. I mean, there'd been rumours, I don't know if it was true or not, that Sky were going to put the last test on free-to-air television if it had been a decider, and you knew it would have been a national event. We love national events, you know. Again, it doesn't matter if you win a national event. England losing in the semi-finals of World Cups or finals of the Euros, doesn't matter if they win. As long as it's a national event and we all get together and all have an absolutely brilliant time and we're bonded on this septic aisle where there's nothing but division and misery and hatred and social media and, you know, slightly wonky politicians 
left, right, and centre. Uh, <laughs> and so we were deprived of that. And then I didn't really uh, think that I cared anymore about the last test. I thought, just going through the motions, even though there's this specious notion of stopping the Australians from winning a series, I don't really think like that or particularly care about what Australia gets to do, win or lose. Um, but I suddenly discovered yesterday at about quarter past five that I really did care. And when four wickets went down for 11 runs in no time at all, and the crowd at the Oval was absolutely berserk, and I, I got a bit emotional, and it felt great. So, you know, and then Broad getting carry out of the last wicket. He must be the only man in Test history to hit his last ball in first class and Test wicket for six and win an Ashes match with his last ball that he bowled. It's utterly, utterly ridiculous. And uh, so there was all that. And then there's that great feeling you get when you're at the Oval. And I was lucky enough, not really lucky, I don't like doing interviews at the end of the game. I just want to do my podcasting and get straight in the pub. But um, they make you go and stand and ask, broadly speaking, anodyne questions of players who also want to get back to the changing room, crack open some beers, hand out some awards and um, and not drink with Australians until they get to the nightclub later on in the evening. Uh, but it was kind of touching and moving seeing... Chris Wokes, his lovely eyes, his man of the series. and I'm supposed to ask him questions and all I'm doing is gazing into his eyes. After I've gazed into Pat Cummins' eyes and uh, and after I've been sort of looking at Stuart Broad and Mitchell Stark and just thinking, wow, what an incredible series, what incredible people. And there's this massive pavilion filled with cheering crowds and the sun was shining and there's going to be no more test cricket in England for 11 and a half months. And I suppose you hipster dudes don't give a shit about that because the hundreds just started and you can get your teeth into <laughs> whatever's happening in the American T20. But for me, it's uh, frankly a really depressing prospect because I'm 54 and I don't know how much longer I'm going to live. And 11 and a half months without a test match feels to me like 11 and a half months I can't afford. Well, quite the soliloquy there to, to, to kick things off. I love the idea of cricket as a national moment. Yeah. The way you described it, it was almost like when the Queen died. Now everyone gets together... Um, Oh, it's better than that. Um, yeah, I, well, look, following on from that, um, you, you briefly touched on on how you thought you didn't care and then turned out you did care and <coughs> the crowd cared and everyone got invested in it. Um, who will, I not really care most, but who will be saddest, do you think, from the, the two sides, Australia and England, 2-2, um, Australia oh. touching greatness. They've got the World Test Championship. That That's a1 on the flight home. The urns there, A2. The Ashes win, the legacy-defining Ashes win, A3. Not there. Um, gutting. But for England, you know, effectively they did everything but win 3-2 after going 2-0 down. Um, similar legacy, similar legacy stuff. Yeah. That they, you know, I, 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 there's no flight for them, hopefully, on the, on the way home. But um, there, there's no... <laughs> the, the, there is something sort of missing, I suppose, from from that comeback. Yeah. Well, I suppose it's sort of wonderful, isn't it? Because we spend our lives defending this game to um, sceptics and uh, essentially people with narrow minds and saying, yeah, I know it can last five days. Yes, I know it could be a draw. That's the point. That's one of many points, but it's a very important point. And so... I guess there was something wonderfully fitting that there should be so much euphoria in both camps and so much excitement and adrenaline 
and then at the end of it, they just look at each other and go, <laughs> oh. <laughs> neither of us won. <laughs> neither of us, no, no, neither of you won. No. So, so yeah, you're both, yeah, we're both actually a bit miserable. Yeah. I mean, England will, will dress it up and say how uh, it proves that they're able to go toe to toe with the best team in the world using their methods and all that kind of stuff. And they'll give all that, that malarkey. But some of them have a brain and some imagination. So they will be really gutted that the rain did for them. They'll also convince themselves, and they're totally correct in this, that there's nothing much you can do about being uh, being rained on because that's, you know, unless they are, as was it Stuart Broad suggested, the luckiest group of cricketers in the world, uh, which it turns out they're not, then it's not going to happen to you. Uh, so I suppose they won't blame themselves for it, but there will be um, sadness about what might have been for Australia. I think it must be such a hollow retention of the ashes because uh, this isn't having a dig at them. It's just the truth. In fact, being a sportsman and you've, you're have you celebrating retaining the ashes, you're holding your little urn up, but you haven't actually won a game for 29 days or whatever it was. When was it? The, the, the last game they won was about the 29th of July or something. So 30 days of June, 30 odd days. And so, you know, normally when you win a trophy, it's because you've just won it, you know. Sometimes I suppose you'll you know you'll collect the Premier League trophy and you might have lost the last two games, but that really doesn't matter because it, the trophy is a trophy. It's about what you've done over the course of the season. Whereas this is a long old time since they last won a game and they were completely obliterated at Old Trafford and really they were dominated throughout the Oval. So I don't know how you get euphoric about that. You can look back with some pride, but there'll be a bunch of players going, "We've never been to England and we're never going to go to England and win a series." which must be quite difficult when you're Australian because the people who are commenting on your performances are these lizard-eyed, brilliant geniuses from their past who won every series. They didn't win a bloody England's piece of piss, mate. 89, 93, 97, 2001. You must be some pathetic, soft cock wanker not to, get to, not to beat the fucking bombs. And that must be, you know, broadly speaking, disappointing I, I hate the word disappointing gutting miserable for them uh so yeah i mean i, I, I can't sum it up any other way other, other really than isn't it so cricket the group the most wonderful spectacle over the last six weeks and you're left with everyone shrugging <laughs> their shoulders and being largely disappointed great um, for the game Daddy, uh, <laughs> we talked about this yesterday too old you said at the time it was a, a fair result with 24 hours to let it sink in have you changed have you changed didn't your mind? say fair didn't say fair I said it was kind fitting. of the same isn't it begins with so I don't like saying fair I said it was a fitting result yeah um I know I haven't changed my mind but um I I do uh, like I would echo what what Daniel said about how funny it is that all of this has ended in a draw and particularly how England have made such big bones about going out and saying like when we play a test match I'd rather lose trying to win than draw it. So even with that, like we want to win or lose, and by winning or losing, they've still drawn the whole thing. <laughs> it's brilliant. It, like it's it's absolutely brilliant. Um, but I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I suppose it would be nice if there were an ultimate victor. But I, I just think, like we said yesterday, the every game was so close, apart from the one that was rained off. That I think to all, you know, is uh, it's, it's something that we can all accept. I think if it's not the other way around, if you reckon, I mean, I reckon if England had won the first two and Australia had come back to level it to two all, that would have been, you'd have seen euphoric scenes then. That's what makes it even (laughs) sillier (laughs) because it's, 
It had to be. There's only, there's only a very specific way in which you could end up with this horrible feeling of emptiness. And, and the only way that you can get that is through one of the most, one of the most remarkable narratives in, in, a, te in a test match series that you could ever wish to see. I mean, Andy Zaltzman, I think, gave a stat. And I can't remember the exact stat, but it's within this realm that there were four matches in this series that were decided by either fewer than 50 runs or three wickets or fewer. Yeah. And if you go back through the entire history of the Ashes from, well, through like 1960 to about 1997 or so, there is only at most one such result in each series. <laughs> you know? And there were four of them in one. I mean, this is just absolutely absurd. You, you get to 2005 and there are some close-ish games. There's two close-ish games, aren't there? And you've got a, a draw with nine wickets down, which is what makes it feel... Really good. So you probably said there's three matches in that series that were really tight, but we had four matches that were really tight, and that four out of five, that's just daft. And then the one game when someone actually thrashes the other one, it's like the gods went, <laughs> "No, no, that doesn't look right. No, no, we, have to, we have to stop. We have to stop. Yeah. Stop this game now. That's not the story. The story is that you're both incredibly evenly matched." <laughs> Sorry, I um, I, I suggest though that I thought it was the best series ever, and with the with 24 hours hindsight, I'd I'd agree with that. I'd in fact I'd even more strongly agree with myself. I think. Um, yesterday there was some doubt. I was, I was like, maybe 2005. Um, the the fact that it it doesn't have a decider and it does end in a in a in a situation where both teams, I suppose, will have regrets. Do you think that detracts from from the greatness of the series, or or will we look back on it and 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 maybe fall into the max camp that it's fitting for for such a tight series that that everyone is a little bit. <laughs> Well, I, I think it. I think it depends on your temperament. You see, um, I think actually for a lot of people it will detract from it, and that's the sadness of it. Because a lot of people will go, "Oh, yeah, cricket was really good that year, wasn't it? Oh, there were some really good games." But because because of the nature of its conclusion, um, it's hard to sort of go back and watch the box set. You know, oh, I can't wait to see this. It's so brilliant at the end. It's so brilliant. Well, it's so brilliant. It ends in a two-two draw with both sides strangely disappointed. Um, so because it doesn't drip with that euphoria that's everywhere, I don't know whether it's going to have quite the same emotional pull. But for people who just love cricket and um, and, and I was so lucky, I was at every game, every day of every game. So for me, I'm going to remember it with uh, an amazing that fondness, but just because of the entertainment, the bewildering, berserk narratives within each game, the fact that I was convinced of something and would have to be deconvinced of it almost immediately it was happening. Australia are well on top in this game. Oh, Marnus Labuschagne's going out to Moe Nally. They're still on top. Oh, Steve Smith just chipped it to short midweek. He never does that. Fuck me, they're three down. We're, England are back in this. Things like that would happen so suddenly. Um, England are way on top here at Lords. There's no way they're going to get a wicket. Ha ha, Nathan Lyons got off. <laughs> they could have pissed this. They could have scored 600. Oh, they've all just tossed their wickets away. How on earth does that happen? You know, just the moments just constantly kept coming out to confound you. So my personal memories of it will be that it's my favourite series, the favourite series I've been involved in, the favourite series I've seen lots and lots of. But I fear that in terms of legendary status, 
uh, almost mythical status about people being misty-eyed and nostalgic in 20 years' time, I think the nature of its ending as will make it a connoisseur series rather than a, you know, unite the nation in five million new cricket fans. I hope I'm wrong, but it's what it sort of feels like a bit. I wonder if it will be like a sort of slow Ooh. burn. It's almost like when you have a, a really a file a fireworks ending to something. There's that catharsis, and then like thermo, you know, the 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 laws of thermodynamics. It immediately contracts. Every action has an opposite reaction. It's such a a big ending, and then suddenly it's all gone. And you know, like you're massively hungover. Basically, you get really, really, <laughs> really hammered you know? watching the yeah, uh, watch, watching the watching it all go go crazy, and then the next day you're like, oh, it's all over, and now I'm really sad. Whereas maybe with this, it'll be like a actually we'll just constantly look back on it with some fondness because we never drank too much. We just kept it at like a steady, steady rate, and there were peaks and troughs. But at the end of it, we were just happily drunk for two months, and we'll look back on it as one of the one of the fondest times. Um, that we can remember rather than the, that was great, but then actually at the end it was really bad because I felt I terrible. Right. Maybe I shouldn't do it again for a while. I hope you're right because it was a privilege, wasn't it, to, to to get to watch it all if you were lucky enough to get to watch it all, not just there. I mean, if you're lucky enough to skip work and watch it or whatever it is that people had to do. I had, I had to do that in 2005. I invented meetings. Well, pubs didn't, pubs exist. didn't exist. And, uh, <laughs> and went off. No, the, meet, the meetings... The meetings didn't exist. I'd invent the meeting in a, in a proper office and then I'd bugger off to a pub about three miles away from my office uh, and just watch cricket for a bit. But, you know, you had to go through all that in order to make it happen, which part of the reason, you know, why I can sort of identify with people who were um, falling in love with the series while it was happening and but what that leaves them with at the end of it. I, I because It was so good and the contrast in stars was so amazing that... If you liked cricket, you suddenly felt extraordinarily smug. I mean, if people don't like cricket and they tell you they don't like cricket, much of the time you just get really annoyed with them, like um, like the Afghanistan coach in that brilliant um, uh, documentary Out of the Ashes when he just berates this Belgian bloke for never having watched cricket. You've never watched cricket, you idiot! But <laughs> this, this year I felt smug. I felt, well, we'll fool you. Like <laughs> all the time. Magnificent. <laughs> It's like you know people. Yeah, it's like people said they don't like that. You know they didn't like the idea of Breaking Bad, so they never watched it. Idiot. Fine. I say skin off my nose, but you're an idiot. Uh, so, I yeah, I hope that Max is absolutely right, and that we're going to be able to unite the nation behind this great sport with this. But I suspect that it's going to be people like you and me, and who are going to constantly wang on about it in pubs till we're all to each other <laughs> <laughs> which will be great that's super. as long yeah, as you've got awesome. someone to wang on about it too yeah yeah well yeah exactly and that'd be nice we'll be we'll be united in the fellowship of 2023 and uh, you know we'll, we'll probably start having like code sides of like um, if you see someone see one of your mates is a bit pissed then you'll just like mime and, and needs to get taken home and just oh. mime Johnny Bairstow taking the just stop oil person Lords, you know, there were just there were little codes that we that. have. Yeah, you know, so so, um, so like you know, for example, you you go into the pub and and someone says, you know, so what what should we get to drink for the first round? And then you just mime Joe Root playing reverse ramp off Pat Cummins off the first ball of the day when England were in a bit of trouble, and that means I think I think more subtle than that immediately. I think a little bit <laughs> more subtle than that. Drafted. You take two beer mats and you just swap them round. That's the key. 
That's the. <laughs> that's the <laughs> right, we're going to take a quick break, yeah. and then we're going to come back. Well, and that's... we're going to talk about. Uh, we're going to do a, a composite eleven. I want to hear your favourite moment from everyone here, and uh, we'll do our player of the series as well. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back, everyone, to our summary of the 2023 Ashes with me, Jack, Max, and Daniel Norcross on as a special guest. Before we get back to the cricket, we've got a special message from our partners, Manscaped, haven't we, Max? Yes, we have. Uh, it's, um, it's a new month, and that means new ads for you. And today, we're here uh, to sponsor with a sponsor for your bouncing bundle of joy. But no, no, we're not, we're not talking about a baby. We're talking about your baby makers. Because today's show is brought to you by Manscaped, as you all know, our dedicated listeners. And, uh, you know, your your babies are delicate, like actual babies, and they have sensitive skin, like actual babies. So they deserve products that are skin safe and made with safe ingredients. And that's where Manscaped's Platinum Package will have you in the best of hands. Um, so treat your beautiful boys to the world's finest toys at Manscaped <laughs> and use the code CRICKETPOD for 20% off and that free code? shipping. That code, uh, once again, is CricketPod, and you get 20% off plus free shipping. They've sent us the package for our package, and um, we we were happy. Thumbs up. Daniel, I can see you uh, looking inquisitively. Trust me. Trust me. It's worth a purchase. It sounds like a... (laughs) It sounds like a terrific idea. Um, And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think I understood what it was about. And initially, of course, I was sceptical. I don't want anything really down there apart from vertically running water from a shower head um, and maybe the odd rummage around with some soap occasionally. But now I see yeah. that there's more to down there than just that. Then I've got the opportunity to make it a, a, a genuine feature, I suppose, as opposed, as opposed to something that I've largely yeah, shied away exactly. from. Exactly, that's exactly the idea. Yeah. Men yeah. need to talk about these things more. We've got, we've got to talk more about these things. We've got to get more like Ben Stokes. We've got to be able to discuss our feelings and, you know, I think compliment each other. I heartily agree. More. Max, uh, we've got a composite 11, moment of the series and player of the series. I'm yes. going to give you dealer's choice on this. Which one would you like to do first? 
Mm. Uh, okay. Why don't let's let's start with the comps at eleven because uh, you know the moments. All right, well, big, big grand finish. It's easy as well. The composite eleven. There's only about. I'd say it was easy, but this is the way it's going to work. We're going to go in a circle. Guess we'll find a circle out. Circle of doom. It's a snake <laughs> draft. Yeah. Oh, so it's you a snake get to draft make one time. selection, then it passes on <laughs> to the next person. If the if the player goes, then they're out. And no funny business. I don't want Marnus Labuschagne jammed in at number eleven because nobody set him earlier. Like this needs to be a functioning test team. Okay. Mats, and I want a little bit of balance here. I don't want eleven England players. Yes. Okay. They're the rules. Max, you, you get to start first, then we'll go to Daniel yeah. and I'll go third. Right. Well, um, I, I don't think we can really do anything other than start with the man who is the most surprising and the most improved from any level that I can imagine or have ever witnessed in terms of what was expected and what we got out of him in this series. Um, so I'm going to say Zach Crawley to start because it was phenomenal. It, was, it really it was, was. yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. I think, yeah, I mean, that, that's that's the easiest pick of the lot, isn't it? Possibly. That's what happens <laughs> when you go first. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I've got number two, have I? I'm actually, I'm actually torn, really, because if this is a functioning team that's going out there, um, Crawley's got to play with Duckett, really, because they play in this style that comes straight at the bowlers. I mean, I don't know if you picked up on Andy Zoltzman's incredible stat that in the second innings, Crawley and Duckett hit 15 consecutive balls for runs, so 15 dotless balls, and inside the first 10 overs of the innings. And in the entire history of Test cricket, there's only been one six-ball over in the first 10 overs of an innings that was hit for runs off every ball, which is remarkable, isn't it, actually, when you think about it? There's been dot balls in every other over in the first 10 overs of every other innings in Test match history. Uh, that game was the ICC versus the rest of the world. It was Flintoff bowling to, I think it was Ponting and Hayden from memory. But well, England managed 15, which was utterly ridiculous. Uh, so twice as many as have happened in the entire history of Test cricket back to back. But because of the rules set up by you, Jack, and because I've got to take my hat off to the man that so many people said he can't play in England. <laughs> even though he's in unbelievably good form around the rest of the world, is obviously a changed player from the man who first came to England. Uh, it has to be Usman Khawaja, who uh, got into the top 30, was it, of balls faced in an Ashes series. Um, a lot of what he did was spectacularly dull, but he managed to do it in a really beautiful style. I mean, has anybody played the forward defensive from under his eyes with quite the same grace, even if it was deeply depressing a lot of the time. So how the hell has he done that? That's just, you know, whoa, great ball, pong. And uh, I, I loved him. I loved him for, for everything he did. Um, he also pulled up a really good catch at one point. And uh, and you get you get to keep the left hand right. And he got in a fight. But uh, Crawley, will, and he got in a fight. And Crawley will get out really early in that team, unfortunately. But uh, if he has Duckett as his partner, then he's allowed to stay. He's allowed to go a little bit more slowly and then he gets really good. But anyway, um, he won't. He'll have to be the one who has to thrash at everything because Usman Khawaja will be safe. Right, I get a choice between Moeen Ali and Marnus Labuschagne here, don't I? Um, oh, and Ben Stokes. And, and ben Ollie Stokes. Pope. And Ben if Stokes, I to if go you really want balance rogue. in your team. Uh, I'm, I'm going I'm to spurn mm. Marnus because I don't think I could suffer Khawaja and Labuschagne in the same team again. Um, <laughs> also, you've got to factor in Moe and Ali's wickets here. I had, I had a look at the averages for, for batting. It's 32 v 25. I think the, the wickets, the fourth inning threat that Moe and Ali brings, 
Um, and you know, just the, the, the general attractiveness of Mo and Ali versus the ugliness of, of Marnus Labuschagne mean that in my mind, it's a pretty simple decision. I'm going to go for Moeen, Max. No, no, no. It's not it's a snake. Not going, back to, going, to go, like going back to Dan now. Oh, no, we're going circle. Okay. All right. So I get, I get number, I get number four. Delightful. Um, well, the, you would think normally that it would be Steve Smith, wouldn't you? Just with how imperious he uh, he is, but uh, but it's not, is it? Because uh, Joe Root is better. He was better. He kept doing reverse ramps, and um, well. Steve Smith ain't going to reverse ramp anyone as uh, obnoxiously unorthodox as he is. And uh, and also Joe Root is really useful uh, as a spinner. So um, we get to keep our, our two off-spin attack with uh, with our number three and four batters. And um, and we get we get the fun yeah, of Joe easy. Root at number four. Yeah, we're all going to agree with that. Uh, number five, uh, it isn't as easy as it actually looks, but when we quiz the numbers... Um, Brooks scored more runs than Travis Head. Travis Head played to match winning or match and match altering innings. Um, he nearly won the Headingley test for them, you might say, with that great knock that he had towards the back end when England didn't bowl awfully well at him with the bouncer strategy, but he managed to play it terrifically well. So it isn't a simple one, but Harry Brook played a match winning innings really at Headingley and had an impact when he stayed in for any length of time. He had a great impact and he also played the silliest shot of the entire Ashes, which was his forehand smash to extra cover. But he played at Lords, having battled... Played it twice. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, but the one he got out to. Um, and it was what was so beautiful about that shot was that while Stokes was there, he joined him the night before, suddenly Brooke batted like uh, a really quite sensible man. And the next morning, he batted quite sensibly while Stokes was there, which was not for very long at all. And then the moment Stokes disappeared, it was a bit like, you know a boy whose parents are in the house and then they say right well we're going out this evening um we'll just be next door and uh, so he decides to whack on the sound system and put it up to number 11 and get monumentally pissed and vomit on the carpet thinking that his parents aren't going to notice uh and that's sort of the shot that harry brook played and i love him for it because it was so dumb ass and at the same time so audaciously uh Silly. Uh, no, there were no fielders where he was trying moment. to hit it. But he was trying to hit it into space. <laughs> no fielders there, that's for sure. Yeah, I like I mean, um, space, as in uh, the, the large. I like he said he quiz the numbers yeah, and saw that yeah. Brooke had scored more runs than Travis Head. Does anyone know how many more runs? Oh well, it, well he, he had until Head's got some runs yesterday. So it's no, no, Head's just ahead of Brooke, him now. But he had, Brooke is he had one, one run ahead, so didn't he? Head? So. The, the math, the math, <laughs> one run. Yeah. Uh, six is is, a, is another tricky one. Now, obviously, Ben Stokes is good and would make a good captain, but the late entry of uh, Mitchell Marsh, the Bison, did liven up the series. I think from an entertainment point of view. So, curveball here. I'm going to go with Mitch Marsh as the number six, and I'm going to reject the England captain. Absolute curveball. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, if if, Steve, if, um, well, if Ben Stokes could bowl, it, maybe yeah. he'd uh, maybe he'd make it in. But and you know, you need Steamer, right? <laughs> he hit 155. He nearly won a Test match for the most yeah. ridiculous innings you've How ever seen in your life. Though? He played a really important role in the victory at Headingley. He's he's yeah. Uh, Mitch Marsh got 100, didn't he? Yeah, yeah so that's a, one all on that board, front. Um, yeah. Whereas Ben, ben but Ben Stokes 
played a match winning innings, which Mitch Marsh never did. At the moment Mitch Marsh I got inside, Australia bombed he, and lost two and got crashed in the other. So, uh, you know, he's like the reverse Chris Wokes. He's the reverse oh, Chris it's Wokes. It's very difficult for me to leave out someone <laughs> nicknamed the Bison. If, if Stokes had a better... If Stokes had a better nickname, see that. maybe I'd think differently. But uh, Mitch, Mitch Marsh is making a thing. Does Stokes have a nickname, or is it just Stokesy? Yeah. Go on, Max. It's who's Stokesy, number seven? Yeah, yeah, that's Paul. Mm. Right. Okay. Oh, I get to choose who has the gloves. And uh, if you'd asked if you'd asked me three weeks ago, there's absolutely no way I would be saying Johnny Bairstow. But it's a funny, funny. They say a week's a long time in politics. It's an even longer time in a. A game of cricket, so it's it's got to be it's got to be Johnny Bairstow. I mean, he, he pulled out a couple of phenomenal catches um, in in the last couple of tests. He he's hit finally hit some runs that actually mattered, and um, and you know I suppose you got to give him the uh, the spirit of cricket. And he carried a man well. off, so uh, in he goes, yeah. and he carried a man off. And he carried That's a true. man off. Yeah, I thought that was a tricky decision myself, but then um, Bairstow pulled away, didn't he? Uh, towards the back end and I think Ben Jones tweeted I don't know the truth of this but he tweeted that Bairstow had a better catch percentage in the end than Carey I think that's partly because Carey yeah. was so we did good leave a few get. yeah yeah <laughs> Carey was so good he could actually get to balls that Bairstow couldn't and got little fingertips on it immediately that counts as a drop whereas <laughs> Bairstow very wisely let the ball go between himself and Joe Root <laughs> so he didn't drop it <laughs> Yes. <laughs> okay. Number number eight is a piece of piss. It's the easiest selection of the lot, apart from Crawley, and it's obviously um, the Brummy Botham. Nineteen wickets at an average of eighteen comes into the last three games. Is he couldn't even get selected against Ireland for God's sake, and uh, it comes in and he completely turns the series on its head with his best mate Woody. So yes, obviously Chris Wokes. We don't need to elaborate. We'll talk about him. More I think another no-brainer here is now. Mitchell Stark at number nine. The best Australian bowler, I think, by a distance. Maybe second best to to Wokes overall for the series. Probably second best to Wokes overall for the series. Pad, he was he was fantastic once he got going. A little bit wayward earlier on, but um, I really really enjoyed watching him bowl, and I, I was kind of glad in a way he didn't. He, he is a great player, and he didn't have a great 2019. He was he was benched for Siddle, wasn't he? So I think on a personal level, it's good to see someone come back and. Um, Prove, prove the doubt was wrong. Max, 10. Mm, 10. Um, well, I, I feel like 10 and 11 have got to be got to be sewn up, haven't they? I mean, so at number 10, I'm, I'm going to put I'm going to put Woody in there because uh, just for the, the pure fire he brought at Headingley and just changed the changed the momentum of the series. Like with that one spell, he just suddenly put the fear of God into the uh, into the Aussie batsman and, and started the act of turning things around. Um, obviously, he was a little bit down on pace by the end of the uh, the fifth test at the Oval with his with the three tests back-to-back, but he, he just gave something so different to England um, and he'll give something so different yeah. to this composite 11 and that's why Mark Wood's in there. He also became 10. only the second man in test history to score 16 off his first three balls, which he did when England were completely down and out. <laughs> against <laughs> Australia at Headingley, 120 odd in arrears having tossed away a really good position yet again and he came in with Stokes and uh, turned the series with bat as well as he'd done yesterday with ball so yeah you're right number 11 is an absolute no-brainer uh, I think everyone's got this guy down on team sheet um, he with him in the side Australia were an unstoppable force um, he was there at the end in the uh, first test match at Edgebaston 
albeit he shouldn't have been really if Stokes had taken that catch, but it's, it's obviously Nathan Lyon who um, has to get in this side because if he'd played all five test matches, we wouldn't be having this conversation. And you you might have asked me on the podcast, and I said, really, do we really want to dissect a 4-0 loss? I'm not sure we do. Um, so Nathan Lyon, for me, has to go in there. And because you've picked Mitchell Marsh, we now have four seamers and three off-spinners. And, uh, but one of the results, <laughs> That's a balanced an attack. awful lot more work than the other two. <laughs> but, uh, oh, if only we could get Todd Murphy yeah. in somehow. And uh, Stuart Broad on the on the bench, well retired. Um, yeah, yeah, carrying the drinks. Well, he's, reti- he's Stuart, Broad, yeah, exactly. Stuart Broad's retired, so he can't play. Exactly. He's uh, right. Let's uh, quickly round yeah. off then with Player of the Series. Max, did you have a, a nomination? I think it's pretty obvious, isn't it? Uh, I mean, I, yeah, I can't, I can't possibly look past uh, Chris Wokes just because of the, you know, the the return is ridiculous. Uh, came in one two nil. Um, I mean, there were obviously honourable mentions, you know, um, with the in the wickets column, but I, I, I think, I think it's probably, it's probably going to be between. It would be between a few bowlers, wouldn't it? The player of the series, uh, despite yeah, the ridiculous no, number no, of runs. I, that, I would make. It's such a such a ridiculous number of runs that have uh, you know have been scored in some of these crazy innings, but I, I I feel like I feel like the bowlers take it for me. But well, it was different. Yeah, you made every time, and no one got two centuries, did they? There were actually very few centuries. There were lots of nineties. Mm. Uh, Zach Zach Crawley at the back end might have had a shout, but he scored his huge yeah. number of runs I mean, in the Root, game that was a draw. Root, so. Root was probably robbed of a couple by some scuttlers. <laughs> he was. He was, yeah, that's absolutely true. But um, you can't pick someone who's who, <laughs> yeah. who was robbed because you don't know if he would have got out the next ball, which is rather unfortunate for Root. But um, I'm, I'm sure he'll live without this accolade. But yeah, I think he's got to be Wokes, hasn't it? Also, don't forget how nervously and brilliantly he batted with Wokes and then with Wood when Wood came in. And they still needed 20. And that's when I was genuinely pacing up and down and couldn't watch because... I thought if they blow this now, then it's just going to make the next yeah. three. Then would have hit it for six and we were all fine again. I know, we were all fine again. I know it's amazing, isn't it, how quickly one's emotions were dragged from one place to the other, but uh, got to be Wokes. A man of the series when you played three test matches. A bit it's like Sam incredible. Curran. Didn't Sam yeah, Curran did, man yeah. of the series against India for just popping, yeah, popping yeah, in did. every now and then? Um, and then moment <laughs> of the series. Daniel, you can start with this one. Oh, God, there are so many. I think I... St- Still might go with Root's reverse ramp off the first ball of a day when England were in awful trouble because the moment that happened was the moment that you realised, oh God, they really do mean all this. You know, on the first day, there were arguments for and against declaring is the thing. So a lot of people were up in arms about it. I wasn't really. I, I wouldn't have done it because the stats show that uh, people are less likely to get out with seven overs of the day to go than they are when they go out the next morning. But... I suppose logical reasons, really, because you realise you've only got this amount of time to survive and they're good enough to do that and they leave balls. And So Quadra and Warner uh, weren't the best people to try and get out in those circumstances. But there was also a very good argument for declaring. So that wasn't really Baz Ball. The, the rate at which they scored sort of was. Uh, their bowling uh, was sort of Baz Ball because of how they were trying to get people out and they managed to do it. But it was when they were not very much ahead with two down and he decides he's going to take on the world's best bowler by reverse ramping the first ball of the day. And I thought, oh man, this is going to be a ride, isn't it? Well, there's just no way of knowing how this is going to turn out. And because it set that tone for me for the rest of the series, I think it's probably my moment. But, you know, there are so many. There's Johnny Bairstow. There's, uh, you, oh, well, Max. Go on, Max. You go, you go next and tell me what yours is. 
Yeah, well, I mean, the, I'd, I'd sort of pen down <laughs> Zach Crawley's 189, but I don't know if I'm allowed that as a moment because it took moment? quite a long time. Yeah. Uh, so how strict are we being on the definition of a moment? You know, well, Is that allowed? Or, or the 189th run was a moment. Is it like one of those things just keeps getting better and better? <laughs> that wasn't much of a and... moment. I'll go with, yeah, we'll we'll go, we'll go we'll go with something else. Um, uh, I let let's let's just say Stuart Broad swapping the bales and then taking the um, the second time I think he swapped the bales and then, then immediately took a wicket and set up the win on the last day and set up him taking. A, a wicket with a, his last ball in Test cricket. It was. Um, it had. It had the humour from the bail swap, the ridiculousness, and obviously the narrative as well. Like he, he'd already hit his last ball in Test cricket. It was six the day before. Everyone was willing it to happen, and um, there was no way it was going to happen. Surely there was no way that it was going to be that perfect. Uh, a bow on top of the the little present that we had of of this series, but. But it was. Um, I said yesterday it was two on the nose. I think it is still two on the nose. The writers do need to be sacked. It was too obvious, but it still happened. And it was. Uh, uh, mine's a, uh, a little bit more basic, to be honest, fellas. The fake haircut, I think, was was, was my moment of the series. <laughs> uh, front page news that Alex Carey had stolen a haircut, only for it to turn out that that had been. I don't know if it had been entirely made up or someone had tricked Alistair Cook into saying it um, or, or exactly what had happened. But the whole furore around it, um, how offensive some people found it that Alistair Cook might have mentioned a fake haircut. Um, a marvellous narrative <laughs> subplot to the, the whole thing. The kind, of, the kind of Greg of succession to the Ashes 2023 the, the, the comic relief that, <laughs> that we all needed to, to, to take a breath uh, that was mine um i i think that's a that's a that's a really really good choice because what it did was expose just how uh gentle this australian team is i don't think australian teams in the past would have got so riled by this and after the incident which i'm very pleased to see that none of us have chosen uh we all know the the incident that we mean uh, Cameron Green, I think, found it very difficult to deal with the Lord's crowd. Um, Alex Carey, when he got out at the Oval, he was booed ever since after that. The nicest, one of the nicest men in cricket. You know, he he would rival Chris Wokes for utter loveliness. You could see him kind of running off because he just didn't want to be there. You know, in front of the boos as he, as he walks off and getting out. Um, and actually, Pat Cummins' captaincy kind of degenerated after the incident, but the haircut was sort of symptomatic of that fragility that they had, that um, it didn't take a lot. When you go to Australia, and I did the Ashes in 2017-18, for example, the stories about England were just horrible. They were about, you know, Johnny Bairstone headbutting Cameron Bancroft, which he didn't do. He, he, you know, he nuzzled head to Cameron Bancroft. It was clearly a stitch-up to try to make him look like a thug. And the story of Ben Duckett throwing the water over Jimmy Anderson, that came from Australia, it didn't come from England. Typical, you know, just like ratting him out. And then linking that to Ben Stokes' issues that he'd had in the Bristol nightclub and then pretending that the entire England team were thuggish and they had a problem with anger and violence and yobbery. And that became like a thing that all, that even nice, sensible journalists that I work with would be saying, yeah, we've got to understand, Dan, the culture of English cricket is clearly way too much boozing and fighting. What are you talking about? You know, um, and so that was genuinely offensive and annoying, whereas we've got 
Alistair Kirk making a very innocent mistake, actually, when talking to this Turkish barber who said, yeah, the Australians have been in. And he said, oh, who was it? And this guy hadn't paid for the bill. And he said, that was he, was he, he's quite short. So I thought, oh, probably the wicketkeeper. He said, yeah, he's a wicketkeeper. And, you know, it turned out it was the other wicketkeeper, you know, who's the other wicketkeeper? I've forgotten, Josh Inglis or whoever it is. Um, I can't remember this player wicketkeeper. Um, and so it's just a really innocent mistake. And it, and it doesn't make you look <laughs> evil, does it? You know, actually. So, so actually someone makes, did steal a haircut? No, they didn't. They paid for it. They <laughs> oh, did pay okay. for it. It's just they, they did. It was a cash-only hair, uh, hair cutter. So they had to go back and pay for it by a bank transfer, which they then <laughs> did do. But <laughs> but obviously it takes a little while for a bank transfer yeah. to go through. So the it temporarily day, stole a haircut. It temporarily well, we just got it on temporarily one day's credit or something. Yeah. You know? so yeah. Didn't pay interest, though, did it? Yeah. So didn't everyone interest, at, at some point in the haircutting process has stolen yeah. a haircut, haven't they? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more, Jack. But, the, <laughs> but what was interest, interesting about it was that they were really upset by it. And they didn't just laugh it off and go, oh, what? You know, uh, just just ignore it. Ignore him. Uh, but instead, they they took it to heart. And the fact they took it to heart is because their hearts are soft. And it's very sweet to have an Australian side whose hearts are soft. And they're generally a very nice bunch of lads. Um, but it was fascinating that it was that, because that's not what it's like normally playing against Australian teams. Um, and I thought England exploited that really, really well. And it meant that we could just make little snide, quippy remarks to all of their journalists about how your guys have gone a bit soft. And of course, they hate that because the definition of the ashes is not just morally pure, but physically perfect specimens of the human race, the Australians marching into the land of the milk toast and the crafty underfed <laughs> cur, who is the Englishman, who is a snivelling wretch and uh, does stuff behind your back and hasn't got the guts to say things to your face. And unfortunately, they got fronted up to and got taken down. And they didn't like that We've got two much. questions so to finish off, both from Alex, one from our Patreons. And you can sign up as a Patreon by going to the show notes, patreon.com forward slash the cricket pod if you want to support the show directly. And we'll start with Patreon Alex, who asks, in retrospect, was Ollie Pope's injury one of the most important moments in the series with the selection implications that followed on from that now i know both of you are big ollie pope ollie pope fans the wrong guy there um but it did mean <laughs> that england could reorganize and bring in wokes and that keep mo and ali in the side and they did win the ashes 2-0 after pope was ruled out so arguably to the england did win the ashes if you take pope out of the equation yeah i don't know about that you could get wokes in anyway okay. didn't you all right Actually, it's, it's, I mean, I suppose it's because it's because folks couldn't bowl. And there is an argument that if you're going to go in with a top six in which none of them are really bowlers, with the exception of Root and uh, and only really in the latter half of it. Oh, he played a part to Edgebaston, didn't he? But um, he, he didn't bowl like a fifth bowler. He bowled more like a fifth and a half bowler, if you know what I mean? So I suppose there's an argument that somebody dropping out there made it possible to slightly alter the lineup. But if you remember Harry Brook went at three initially. One one innings. Um, <laughs> yeah. Which was a kind of um, weird one. I realised I read the innings, wrong yeah. Alex question there, so I will go back to it because it's a good it is a good one to finish on. Uh the one from Twitter uh from other Alex is in a parallel world where Alex Carey and Todd Murphy got Australia over the line, did cricket just die? Did Test cricket just die? Um, and I think we can all agree that yes, it, 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 no longer playing. <laughs> no, we can't. No, 
No, no, because actually, you know, if they if Australia had won it three one, they would have had the euphoria, and then it would have been just really, really awful memory for English fans, and that would be something okay. that was more dynamic than this sense of oh. So I don't know, in a strange kind of way, it would have been better. Uh, it, it would have, it would, and it would have fueled a fire, and it would have been much better for Australians, and they are also part of the cricket okay. family. So, um, you know what they're saying. It depends on your perspective. Um, it would have felt grotesquely unfair, wouldn't it? But then if you win by, by hunting down 384 to win, then perhaps you have actually sort of um, answered the question oh, of which was yeah. a better team. Yeah. Because then they, then they unequivocally would have been. But they but they didn't <laughs> because they weren't. <laughs> and that's it. Although they didn't half whine about the ball. Bloody hell. I wish you'd, been, wish you'd seen the, uh, the press box and the, uh, the broadcast boxes yesterday. Australians harumphing yeah. like nobody's business yeah, about that changed ball. It was hilarious. Always and also um, conveniently forgetting that James Pattinson did exactly the same thing at Edgebaston in 2019 when England were well on top. I think Burns and Butler were in the middle of a really dominating partnership that was going to give England a massive lead, and uh, Pattinson got the ball changed and it hooped round bloody corners, which altered the result of that game. But Obviously, people don't remember things in the midst of uh, furious rage. They're also right. right. It is incredible that <laughs> they picked that ball. It's absolutely yeah. incredible. Joel Wilson was what going on. What the hell was going on? There's, there's nothing new <laughs> about. <laughs> there's nothing new about yeah. ball changes, hooping around quarters, but that was that was really sad. The players well, were pretty the sanguine writing on it. You could see the writing, <laughs> and you, you can actually see your face in it. Oh, no, yeah. Stuart Broad was putting his headband um, on, looking at the reflection of himself in the bleeding thing. We've it's got insane. the last question from Alex <laughs> on Patreon. Um, what was Dan's favourite moment to commentate on in the series? And I think that's a good way to leave things. What 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 memory of you on the microphone will stick with you? Do you think? Well, one of them was coming on straight after the incident and just really, I really enjoyed what was happening. Um, I literally came on the ball, the, the very next ball, and the crowd had gone so mental. And I was at Lords watching a mental crowd. And you never get to watch a mental crowd at Lords because they're just they're soporific and hate cricket mostly at Lords. Um, and so that was just magical and being able to see um, what Stuart Broad was doing and commentating on him, you know, exaggeratedly keeping his back behind the line and staring at the bowlers and then pointing a finger at Alex Carey and telling him, you know, this is what you're going to be remembered for and then whipping the crowd into an incredible frenzy because when you're on commentary, it's like, uh, I mean, I could choose a wicket or a moment and each one of those wickets and moments is just enormous fun, even when it's like an oh no moment because... England have lost a wicket at a crucial stage. It's just that there's great adrenaline in that. But actually, the 20 minute segment I did straight after the incident was spine tinglingly wonderful um, and theatrical and full of shithousery. And there's nothing you love more as a commentator than commentating on shithousery because I quite enjoy it. And I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to be pompous and say it's all wrong, but I don't, <laughs> I, I kind of love it. <laughs> So yeah, that was that was my favourite. It was actually half an hour because it was on SEN. We did half an hour stints on that. So it was that half an there hour I absolutely adored. Boy, did they have the right man for the job when it came to the shithouse. <laughs> right, there Ooh. we go. That's uh, that is that is the Ashes 2023 <laughs> done, complete. We're going to move on to our daily coverage of the 100 now uh, that we show Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday and Tuesday morning. Uh, it's... Uh... <laughs> 
no, I think we'll we'll have a couple of days off, um, rest and recuperate, and uh, plot our next move. Thank you very much for coming on, Daniel. Enjoy the rest of the summer. Uh, hopefully, we hear from you. Oh, thank you very much. I'm going to the hundred. I get the hundred on um, on Wednesday for the London Spirit against the Over Invincibles till I die. Uh, well, Over Invincibles women till I die. I don't really bust with the men. They're, they're not awfully good. And they don't captivate me in the same way. Uh, and I've got a little. I've got some. I don't think it's called the Royal London One Day Cup. I better make sure I get the new sponsor right. But I'm doing four of Surrey's games for that for no other reason than that. Um, I really want to see. I wanted to see Sheridan Gums. Um, who is the most brilliantly named player on the county circuit, but it looks like he's not going to be playing in the first game. Who knows? We'll see. Maybe they'll select him. Let's hope they do. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's my August lined up. And then there's a little bit of one-day cricket and, and then the countdown for another 10 it's months a World of Cup. misery waiting for a home test match. Six. There is a World Cup. Yeah, should be going to that. So that'll be, that will yeah. be a laugh. There's a lot, lot of schlepping about. Got to show a lot of boarding passes if you're going to be in yeah. India travelling every three days. But I'll get used to that. I might just pin the boarding pass to me as I walk through. Just, just uh, nail it. You get like you a revolving product. advertising board to just show the changing boarding a file packs. On a, on Be good, a wouldn't it? Yeah. I might. I might. Yeah. I might make it a little rough <laughs> out of them like that. Like them all hanging down. Great. All right, we're going to wrap up. Um, goodbye, everyone. Thanks very much for listening, and thanks for watching. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.